0: Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. And we've got a noted guest on the show today author, speaker, financial advisor, expert in the field of inheritance, Ron Blue. He's joining us today talking about his book, Splitting Heirs, and I'm sure we'll go into other places. But do you want your inheritance to be a blessing? That you leave for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, or you, do you want it to be a curse? 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But those who, don't, those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Ron Blue, welcome to I Work For Him.
1: Well, thank you, Jim. I'm looking forward to our time together today.
0: You know, a lot of people when I bring them on, they've written great books and I and I interview them and they're like, "Jim, you actually read the book?" I'm like, "Yeah, I read the book from cover <laughs> to cover." And and I literally I laughed out loud so many times uh, while reading your book, not because it was, you know, overtly funny, but because it's sad and I've heard so many of the scenarios to be true, but it is true that the lack of planning that people do even not even having wills, but as people look at leaving money to the next generation or the generation after that, that without planning, it can be a disaster. And really, you know, I I got to meet you and talk to you back in October. One of the most powerful things you said is that you don't have to leave the money to your children all the same way, that it's okay to treat your kids differently because they're all different. And if you treat them all the same, something's going to go wrong. That was a paraphrase of what you said, but it, it it impacted what my own family. I went right to my parents and said, that is so true. Because my brother, my sister, and I are night and day. And, and and it was so powerful. I'd never, ever thought of it that way. Ron, yeah. before we get into the book, I really just want to hear from your heart about how Christ is making a difference in your life. How many years have you been a Christ follower?
1: Well, it was 1974. So what's that? Almost 40 years ago.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. That's more than
1: 40 years ago. Um, I was... Uh, at the time, I was 34, so today I'll be 74 in just a few weeks. So 40 years ago, from 34 to 74.
0: And so as you w- have walked with the Lord all these years, I know that every day is new, and every day brings new challenges, and as we seek the Lord, it doesn't get easier to follow Him. I mean, it gets easier, but yet He continues to stretch us no matter what our age is. How is Christ making a difference in your life today?
1: Well, you know, I think the the older I get, and I've had a custom of, uh, I have a daily quiet time uh, almost every day. Uh, I journal a lot. Um, And two things that really come to my mind. Number one is that I find that, you know, your, your flesh is a particular way and it has certain habits and histories and experiences and so forth. And so you tend, I tend to fight the same battles, if you will, uh, with various things uh, spiritually. Uh, the other thing that is a really fascinating thing to me is that the older I get in the faith, and I'll say the more mature I get in the faith, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> so, that's, so, that's so true.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I feel uh, kind of less, <laughs> less knowing today than I did 40 years ago. Uh, you know, I, I just had a little bit that I knew at that time, uh, and today I, I read it. It, it, but the third thing I would say is that God's word, uh, is new every day. And I've been the last couple of weeks thinking about lamentations. Um, his, uh, his, uh, he's faithful and his mercies are new every morning. And think about that this morning when I got up, I thought his mercies are new today. And that means new. And so anyway, my, uh, um, Christ makes a difference in my life, uh, hopefully, uh, every moment of every day. That doesn't mean that I walk in maturity and obedience and total faithfulness, but that's where I come back to uh, each time.
0: Uh, I love that. I love that. And that struggle is so much the same as I've walked with the Lord. And like, wow, when I first gave my life to Christ 35 years ago, I thought, I know a few things that really need to be worked on, then I'll be good. And 35 years later is exactly what you say. I realize how much further, I I realize all the things that I didn't know. We've got a real special privilege on the air today. We've got author, speaker, financial advisor, Ron Blue, who is one of the founding director, or is the founding director of Kingdom Advisors. Ron, before we get into our conversation, I want people to hear about the broad spectrum of people that can participate in Kingdom Advisors. I've had some Kingdom Advisors on the air, but I want to hear from you. Who are the people that should be getting involved in Kingdom Advisors?
1: Well, it's, uh, my vision and heart has been that um, almost like the Christian counseling world, where you've got different specialties, different degrees, different expertise, uh, but what you do share is a commonality of a biblical worldview. And uh, so I know that there are investment uh, people, there's insurance people, there are financial planners, there's tax experts, there's estate planning experts, all who are bringing uh, a a needed professional expertise to uh, their clients. Uh, And if they share a biblical worldview for their Christian clients, I feel like that uh, the client is going to be better served so we're really open to anyone offering uh kind of financial advice uh to people uh be they CPAs or attorneys or financial planners CFPs uh whatever they might be i um, you know I, i've been in this business a long time and uh as i looked back i was uh, sharing recently and have uh, felt passionate about this that I know without exception that God's Word speaks authoritatively uh, to all financial advice. Uh, He gives us wisdom as we go through the process, and He gives us principles in His Word for the decisions that we make. And the end result is a life uh, lived for the kingdom, Uh, and it's a life that is filled with contentment and confidence and uh, clear and effective communication. So that's a long answer for a short question.
0: Well, no, I wanted people to hear that it's not just for uh, certified financial planners, not just for financial advisors, that it, it is, as you said, people that give financial advice to people. So it could be insurance agents, could be like it could be bankers, it could be, I mean, the whole realm of people. Uh, but what, I, as I have learned more and more about it, it, I just wish I had known about it when I was in Minnesota as an insurance agent. It would have been a fantastic group to be involved in. Uh, but down here, I know that there's lots of kingdom advisor groups that meet all over Florida, and I just wanted people to hear about it. I know it wasn't the topic of conversation, but I know of your involvement, and I just want to make sure everybody heard.
1: Well, thank you for asking.
0: <laughs> so tell me why you wrote this book, Splitting Heirs. Uh, I know it, like I said, you wrote it, I know, a, a while ago, but man, everything you said in there is still just as appropriate today as it was 10 years ago when you wrote the book. What prompted you to write this book?
1: Well, one of the things you just said is so true, and that is that God's principles, uh, they don't change. Uh, they're always relevant uh never wrong, so they're always right, and they don't change so uh I would hope that uh the princip- uh, and i not hope I know that the principles that are written uh are they're gonna be the same a hundred years from now because God doesn't rewrite his uh word every time its tax laws change, so what prompted me <laughs> Amen to write... end of that? <laughs> <laughs> What prompted me to write the book, really, was the fact that I had had so much experience in helping people think through their uh, wealth transfer issues, and I, uh, I, I feel like there's three questions that we have to answer. Uh, number one is who owns it, which will drive every decision that I make. Secondly is the question of how much is enough, and how much is enough can be applied to the amount that I accumulate, or what my lifestyle is like, or how much is enough to do, uh am I going to leave to my children or heirs? So answering the question, how much is enough, is, is critical. But then the third question is that if I believe that God owns it and I'm a steward, then my last uh, great decision that I get to make is, who is the next steward, and are they prepared to handle what God has entrusted to me? So I wanted to write a book uh, that uh, kind of built on the experiences that I had. I'd been in the business at that point 30 years uh, of financial planning, and uh, I just wanted to share some of the things that uh, the Lord had, had taught me over time. And, you know, I'm not really a technician. Uh, I'm more of a uh, of a planner and someone that wants to help people think through their finances. There are many technicians that can help them implement, uh, but not everybody helps people think uh, when it comes uh, to their money. So I wrote the book to help people think about money differently, perhaps.
0: And it really reads easily, and I mean it, it because the stories are great in there. Talk to me about, and, and I've lived in my family's history. I've I've lived in my between my mom and her uncle or and her brother lived when my grandmother died. That tension that's caused from a failure to truly plan. Talked about some of the family disasters that have happened because people didn't plan properly. The destruction that happens in families when people don't plan their estate.
1: Well, I don't even have to share the specifics, the statistics, and the research on it is kind of classic that uh, wealth rarely lasts beyond the third generation, mm. um, and my experience uh, has been that some of the biggest issues come over the non-financial uh, situations. You know, I uh, not Totally kiddingly, but I say, you know, one of the things that you could do, it, what you don't want to do is, is create what I would call coping gaps for your heirs. So there's a lot of things that you would be nice to uh, uh, for them not to be surprised. There will be uh, there will be a, um, a, a, a conference. It's just good if you can be in that conference before you die. And so you take even uh, jewelry. Uh, paintings, uh, dishes, uh, things like that that have value to people. Uh, that's where an awful lot of the conflict comes. But conflict comes a lot, too, on the money side, but some of the non-monetary is where some of the most ridiculous conflict
0: occurs. Well, uh, and that's because the sentimental value kicks in there. But I mean, this is just non-Christians fighting about this stuff, right? This isn't people in the church, right?
1: No, that's not true.
0: <laughs>
1: not at all. Uh, You know, only 5%, uh, according to George Barna's research, uh, of Christians would have a biblical worldview. In other words, they would take the Bible literally uh, as God's Word and apply it literally uh, to their lives, only 5%. So uh, I think that this is just me philosophizing here a second, but I think an awful lot of us, Uh, what we do is we read God's Word, and then we use our flesh to make it come true, and that'll never work. Um, So I can know the truth, but unless I allow the Spirit of God to lead me, direct me, to guide me, to empower me, uh, I'm not going to think any differently than the world uh, and the way that I used to think. So it's it's true as much in the church as it is any other place.
0: And that's why I quote that verse at the beginning of the show that you heard me quote, Romans 12, because we've we've got yep. to stop thinking and repl- repeating the behaviors and customs of this world and let God transform us by the renewing of our minds so that he could change the very way we think, because it is so true. We get so caught up in what the world has to offer. You know, when, when I looked at your book and I read the whole thing and I tried to summarize it all in, in one word which that's really ridiculous to try to do that, summarize it in all in one sentence. But, you know, why is it that so many people don't distribute their money while they're still alive? Because that seems like that was a genius idea. Start. I mean, I've never even heard that until I read your book. I never really heard about the fact that while you could train the people that you're going to give money to, you could train them and kind of vet them or whether they can handle it or not while you're still alive. Uh, how come you don't hear that out there more, by more people?
1: Well, I, I think it's, uh, to, to a large extent, uh, when you think about wealth transfer and estate planning, there's just uh, kind of um, the uh, conventional wisdom, shall we say, uh, or the habits and the conventional wisdom is that it's mine until I die. Um, and that may be the conventional wisdom, but if I start again with the idea that it's God's, uh, and I need to process and think uh, spiritually, then things like uh, transferring your wealth ahead of time makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I happen to, uh, to know the Truett Cathy family. I've know, I knew Truett from way back, uh, and I've had the opportunity to meet the David Green family, uh, a, a couple of them. And uh, I think both David Green and Truett Cathy – Uh, They followed that principle, not from my advice, uh, but these are just wise men that um, have transferred wealth early uh, and have set finish lines so that they're not going to ruin uh, the third, the fourth, and the fifth generation.
0: Praise the Lord about that, because those are two fantastic families. Ron, when you look at helping people plan and you look at people that uh, you're trying to help families plan their how their inheritance is going to get passed on a lot of times people are driven by fear in their planning on how they pass their money on to the next generation and the generation after that what drives that fear
1: well uh, uncertainty will typically drive the fear um uncertainty as to what to do but also uh uncertainty as to how much do i need um I think in some cases, uh, there's, you know, even good stewardship thinking may have some fear associated with it, just in the sense that, do I have enough? Have I, uh, you quoted also another verse of uh, in uh, Second Timothy, a uh, man is worse than an infidel that doesn't provide for his family. And uh, so how much do I need is a really big question. And it's a legitimate question, but it also can drive a lot of fear. Um, and then just n- not knowing the decisions that I need to make uh, also can drive uh, fear. So fear, you know, fear is uh, – if, if fear causes you to take action, inappropriate action, then it's a positive thing. Uh, but if fear causes you to retreat uh, to a horde, if you will, uh, or make other wrong decisions – then it's, a, then it's destructive.
0: And I'm sure you've seen both sides of that. I am sure you've seen both sides of that. So, Ron, as you look at the different stages of life that we need to prepare our estate for, it's not just one size fits all. There's a lot of times as we get older, there's a lot of different ways we need to structure things. And as I heard you talk about it uh, in October, I love the way the fact you say, listen, when, we, when, we're, when we're younger and we've got kids at home, we need to have one plan. When we get older and our kids in college, we have another plan. When we're, we're older and we're grown and our parents are older and our kids are grown and have jobs, it's another plan. How do you help people see that they need to readdress these issues with their attorneys all the time? I mean, how do you get people to wake up to that?
1: Well, uh, I don't know that I do. <laughs> I, you know, whenever I have a chance to speak, uh, one of the, the older I've gotten and the more I've spoken about uh, the issues that you have with adult children, uh, the more nodding heads I see of people that have adult children. Um, and one of the things that I have observed and, and I've learned myself and I will just share with, with uh, either clients or people or, uh, is that circumstances change. And, you know, my oldest child to, uh, today is 50. Uh, well, if I've got a life expectancy of another 10 years even uh, or longer, uh, and I'm, I'm going to leave wealth to her, it's really not going to impact her. Um, and, and, that, and the older my kids get, the less wealth is going to impact them. So now then you're thinking about what is the impact on that third and that fourth generation? And that's where I see the biggest devastation occurring. Typically. The people that have created wealth, the second generation has seen it, uh, and perhaps they've lived through it, and they know the values that have gone into the creation of that wealth. The third generation has heard about it. The fourth doesn't even know who who generated it. Um, So the, the, the thinking has to continue to change because the circumstances of life change. And to think that, okay, now I've got it, I've done it, and I'm done, you're not, you're not done. Uh, it's something that needs to be reviewed uh, at least every couple of years because, you know, what you learn about your children, what you learn about your uh, sons-in-laws, daughters-in-laws, grandchildren, uh, you're a better edgy, you're a you're a more experienced person. Uh, as time goes on. So you should be thinking differently as time goes on also.
0: So, I mean, how often should people revisit their estate plan, revisit the, how they're passing things on in the next ger- generations?
1: Well, you know, people might find this to be of interest. I've written uh, 20, 21 books or so on personal finance, including splitting errors. Um But I also know that I can't hold myself accountable uh and I also know that my wife is more likely to end up uh managing uh the the wealth that the Lord has uh, entrusted us with uh than I am. So I have a financial planner. Now it's not that he's gonna tell me something technically that I don't know. Uh chances are he's gonna give me my advice that I, back that I've written. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. But the fact of the matter is that on an annual basis, at least, we sit down with a financial advisor and we just review things. Uh, and he would say, has anything changed uh, that, we, well, what, that we need to talk about? So I, I meet with a financial advisor at least once a year. Um, and what I do know is that um, husbands and wives don't always communicate uh, or see eye to eye when it comes to money uh, and how things work. So to have a facilitator in that conversation is a really good thing. So I recommend that people take a look at it every year mm. and they take a look at it through the eyes of a profession who shares their worldview.
0: Right, and that's and I totally agree with that because I I challenge people all the time. I say, why, as a Christ follower, would you sit down with somebody who has no idea of the eternal impact of money and the, the fact that your money can make an impact on the kingdom? If you have somebody just interested in generating wealth instead of generating an impact on the kingdom, I mean, they don't have to sh- they don't share the same things. You know, <laughs> when when we look at what what you're talking about is that as a Christ follower, I need to be training my kids and making sure my kids train their kids and those kids train their kids on how to handle wealth so that it doesn't get squandered like like the average you know powerball winner who'll be bankrupt in 10 years or less that we actually need to train them because you've seen the destruction that happens to people's lives when money gets passed on to kids who've never been trained with it w- what does the average train wreck look like when grandkids and great-grandkids get an inheritance
1: well what it I, the biggest risk that i see is that um In multi-generational wealth transfer, there becomes at some point a sense of entitlement uh, and as opposed to responsibility. You know, and uh, one of the principles in the book, Splitting Heirs, is that if you haven't passed wisdom, certainly don't pass wealth, because wealth never creates wisdom, but wisdom may create wealth. So uh, when you think third and fourth generation, where you're not going to have any influence at all. Uh, basically, maybe in the third generation a bit, but certainly not by the fourth generation. Um, You you need to ask the question, who's going to pass that wisdom? And because it's God's resources, you need to be uh, certain that his resources are going to be used for his purposes. And I think that's why answering that question, first of all, who owns it, is critical to effective wealth transfer and estate planning.
0: But you also then asked the next question, how much is enough? And what do you mean by that?
1: Well, uh, there's, uh, I think let's, let's broaden it from the wealth transfer question. But uh, how, how much is enough is a question that uh, in our uh, society needs to be answered about my lifestyle and about my accumulation. You know, I, uh, uh, recently uh, one of my children— I found a letter, and I had been quoting from part of the letter, but I had not seen the whole letter, and I got the whole letter. And it was a letter that was written in November of 1959. And I was a senior in high school in November of 1959. Obviously, I don't, uh, I, 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 I did not read this letter in 1959, but it was written by John Steinbeck to Adlai Stevenson, who had run for president twice um, and was a U.N. ambassador. And, he, and John Steinbeck was bemoaning the fact that Christmas had become materialistic. This was in 1959. Uh, and I was alive in 59, and when I look at 1959 and, and where we are today, uh, it's not even close to being comparable. But, but here's what he said. Uh, he said, a strange species we are. We can, we can stand anything that nature and God can throw at us, save plenty. If I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much, and I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, rich, and sick. Now think about that with the uh, increase in wealth from, let's say, 1960 to today, 2015, uh, 55 years. Uh, and what we uh, – yeah, I just saw recently where uh, – I think it was Ben Hogan won the U.S. Open. He got twelve hundred dollars. Well, today million-dollar payroll or million-dollar checks are for the winners of golf tournaments. Uh, how much is enough? Uh, is a question, uh, and the re- and the research says I can never accumulate enough. Uh, and once I do, there's another hurdle or there's another thing out there uh, that I may desire. I-, I can never ever accumulate enough. I think people try to accumulate enough to be successful, significant, or secure. And the only way you can be successful, significant, and secure is to be a follower of Christ and be looking to eternity.
0: And it is so important to put that cap on and say, listen, I can just cap our expenditures and say, here's the lifestyle that I'm going to stick at. Anything above what I need to support that lifestyle, I'm going to give it away so that it, you don't become addicted to it. But there, it, it is. What, what was, who was the line? It was like, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Right. We, you, and there's
1: you, been some people, uh, Jim, that have kept uh, their income and or lifestyle and given away millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, uh, I counseled a client back in the nineteen eighties. I said when I looked at their finances, he was the CEO of a uh uh grocery chain, but they lived in a trailer park. Now it was a nice trailer park. Uh, but they had capped their lifestyle. And I said, you know, I think you can give away a million dollars. Uh, um he died about a year or two ago and his widow uh contacted me and said, When you told us we could give away a million, we did not think it was possible. But in reality, over our lives, we've given away several million dollars. And they did it because they said they answered the question, how much is enough on their lifestyle? They said, we're just fine uh, living like this. Um, so when you cap your lifestyle uh, and or your salary, if you have that option, uh, you, uh, you work to give. Um, and there's, there's many examples of that.
0: So talk to me about—let's but talk about this, because you're saying we got to pass on wisdom. If you don't—if there's—if you're not going to pass on wisdom, don't pass on the wealth. And so you've got the opportunity to really have a big impact on your kids while they're growing up in your household. And if they grew up in a—while you were a Christ follower in a household, they've gotten to see the impact of following Christ on how you handle money. But you don't get directly to—without intentionality, you don't get to directly influence your grandchildren. But you recommend in the book to start passing on wealth when you can help— Teach them how to handle it, and you can also see how they handle it. Do it while you're still alive so you can kind of test drive how they take the wheel with it. What does that look like? Well, uh,
1: you know, I I was speaking to uh, a men's Bible study at a Christian high school not long ago, and uh, a father asked me, He said, How do you teach your children to manage money? And I said to him, I said, Two things. Number one, more is caught than taught. They're going to do what they see. And secondly, uh they learn to manage money by managing money you know and just ask yourself the question do you did you learn more from your mistakes uh or from your successes typically you learn more from your mistakes so if children don't have the opportunity to manage money or even adult children uh they may manage it and make mistakes but that's okay that's a part of the educational process so, we taught our children, we let our children start managing the money that we would have spent on them for their clothes, for their gifts, for their um, spending money. Uh, the youngest started at age eight, uh, and, and they managed their own money. Well, and as they've gotten older and as we've given them money, we, we've had some principles that we followed when we've given our children money. Number one, we do not want to change their lifestyle. Secondly, we in no way want to come between a parent and a child or between a spouse and and the other spouse. Um, So, uh, And yet, on the other hand, we want to help uh, in particular situations. Uh, but But we've also watched and we've seen our kids do not have a sense of entitlement, and consequently we can continue to give. Um, so, you know, one of the principles you mentioned earlier was if you love your children equally, you'll treat them uniquely. Uh, and that's the way we've handled our children. Uh, we at one time had a single mom, uh, as one of our children, well, we handled her totally differently, uh, financially at that time. We had a son who uh, has struggled with some mental, uh, issues. We've handled him and his family differently than we have his siblings. So, and that's the way God treats us. He treats us uniquely. And if you because communicate...
0: I'm sorry, Ron, I thought you... Were because,
1: we're, because we are
0: unique, each one of us. But isn't part of the power in treating your kids uniquely, in communicating, hey, this is how it's going to be when I go, it's going to be different, and you kind of spell it out ahead of time so they know what to expect and they don't get the surprise the day the will is delivered? Ab-
1: absolutely. You know, that most often occurs where perhaps one of your children uh, has a health uh, issue or they have a child that has a health uh, issue um, or perhaps they've been through a divorce and uh, it's a, they have different financial needs or you have uh, one son that's a heart surgeon and another son that's a missionary. Uh, they're unique in, in what they're doing and how God's using them. And so to treat them equally seems to be the right thing to do, but that's not the way God treats us. Uh, And I think if you communicate that with your children, that because we love you all, we want to make
0: sure we're we're there to help.
1: Uh, But if we help or do something for one, it does not mean that we owe it to anybody else.
0: You made a comment just a little bit ago that we don't want to make sure that when we pass on money to our kids, that it, that it doesn't encourage laziness and it doesn't encourage a change in their lifestyle. Why is that so important to recognize?
1: Well, I, I have seen so many people of wealth that have uh, effectively controlled their children through, uh, through their lifestyle. For example, if I help my child buy a home in a particular area, they're, they're buying a home But that may uh, demand a a particular school situation. It may demand particular maintenance issues. Uh, And so I may be committing a child to a lifestyle that they really can't afford. Therefore, they're dependent upon me. That's the most common mistake that's made. You know, I want all my kids to live near me, so I'm going to give them a home near me. Well, what you're doing is you're using money to control them. Right. and I've seen that so often with people who have the means to do that, and then maybe they mean well, but <laughs> what we have to do is to release our children uh, into the kingdom for God to use them in the way that he intends, not the way that uh, meets our needs.
0: And that's powerful. Although it would, it, if I had enough money, would I try to get all my kids from all over the country to live here? <laughs> It'd be tempting. It would definitely be tempting. All right. So you you mentioned that you know if our grown kids don't really need the money, that perhaps we should really be considering giving the money away to Kingdom Impactful Ministries instead. Well, I mean, I know that some kids may have real issue with that, but other kids are like, "That's great. I don't need the money, Dad." So how do you how do you deal with that? Because there are a lot of ministries out there that could really use the blessing of an inheritance.
1: Well, there's a couple of things. I say, do your living while you're giving so you're knowing where it's going. Well, say, you got to
0: say that slower again so everybody gets that. <laughs>
1: okay. Say, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. And that's true with your children, and it's also true with ministries. And so, um, you know, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I tell people that I'm not so sure that in the kingdom you get any credit for the giving that you do at death. Because you don't have any choice, (laughs) you're going to leave it anyway. Um, So, and you get more pleasure out of it when you give it uh, while you can watch how it's used. You know, I was just listening on on your radio program before I came on the air, and it was Johnny Erickson. Right. Johnny Erickson taught it. And I've known Johnny for years. And uh, that's one of the, Judy and I give to that ministry. I know every time we get an appeal letter from Johnny Erickson, that, it's, that we're going to get money. <laughs> because, And we get a great joy out of that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to wait to get that joy. Uh, that joy is right now. Um, and Johnny can sure use it right now. Um, she can't use it when I'm dead.
0: Right. No, that's fantastic. Ron, the question I want to ask you as we close out today is I run into a lot of Christian business owners who have these businesses and they don't really have a succession plan, a perpetuation plan. What's the advice that you give, that you often give to these people?
1: Well, uh, let me just make one correction, uh, Jim. The uh, website that you quoted is the uh, company that I started in, a financial planning company. The uh, where they can find information relative to the content that I've got is RonBlueInstitute. Uh, dot, uh, dot com.
0: Okay, I'll make sure I put that on Facebook and on our website. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Well, the, the uh, I think that some of the biggest mistakes th- that are made uh, is when you try to pass a company if you've got multiple children. Uh, it's a really difficult thing uh, to handle that well. That is a a really difficult thing because some people perhaps are good leaders. Others perhaps are good managers. Perhaps others belong someplace else. And so transferring a company, um, uh, you know, I I, I spoke for Dave Ramsey uh, uh, last year, last spring, and listened to him as he described his transition plan. I thought he had done a really good job uh, uh, of doing that. because what he said was that ownership is different than leadership, and he was passing his uh, his businesses on to his children. But he, but it not until he had leadership in place that did not include his children uh, in the company. So leadership and ownership are two different issues.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, and I think that that's the biggest thing that uh, that people that are going to pass a business on need to understand. They're different. Um, You know, once again, I would quote uh, or look at Hobby Lobby and uh, Chick-fil-A as uh, founders who recognized that and prepared for that. They prepared the the heirs for ownership, but not necessarily
0: uh,
1: were they the leaders.
0: Ron, I want to thank you for being on iWork for him. It's just been such a pleasure. Ron Blue, thanks so much.
1: Well, thank you, Jim.
0: All right. Hey, as we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, I just want to ask you, what did you hear today that challenged you to look at your wealth in a different way, to help uh, help your parents to understand how to pass on wealth without destroying lives. What did you learn today about how we can help equip maybe some business owners that we know, or, or maybe some people that you know are wealthy that maybe shouldn't pass on all of their wealth to their kids. That might be something that you need to pass on. What I love about the conversation with, that we have with Ron today is that it's just so important that we recognize that just giving our kids money can be a disaster, but that Learning to give them money now and helping them learn how to handle it now is a powerful, it's just a powerful way that we can help guide them, we can help train them to handle that wealth. That if we're not gonna pass on the wisdom that we shouldn't pass on the wealth, but to learn to start giving today as well. That we should be doing giving now while we know where it's going so that they understand, we just need, we just need to plan it. We need to plan, it. if you don't have a financial planner, find a Christ-centered financial planner. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business, but you know what? Ultimately, I work for Him.